0: First, or 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 6 through 18, finish up tonight. One of our elders likes to joke with guys who show up late to help set up or tear down by saying, you're just like a blister, you always show up after the hard work is done. (laughs) I like that. Our text is about staying busy for Jesus until he comes for you. Second Thessalonians 3.13 says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. You should stay so busy for Jesus that occasionally you need someone to come alongside you and say, brother or sister, don't grow weary in doing good. He's not telling you to slow down. He's saying, keep doing good and don't get weary while you're doing it. Most of the believers in the church at Thessalonica were busy for the Lord, and some of them needed to be encouraged to not grow weary. They were so busy. But there was also another smaller group of believers who were busy in the wrong way. In verse 11, it says, "...for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies." The word translated busybodies is from two words meaning to work around or to be around work. You ever have one of those people? You probably work with somebody like that, don't you? That they're around work, but they're not really doing any work. The idea is that they were uh, around it, not doing it. Uh, Hopefully that's not you, it's your coworker. The proper functioning of the church of Jesus Christ on earth is often compared to that of a human body. Thus we could say that in the church at Thessalonica, there were those who were busy in the body and there were those who were just busybodies. Now most commentators think that these busybodies were those who had quit their employment to wait for the rapture. We've encountered them before in our studies through 1 Thessalonians. The group could also include any who simply had a poor work ethic and were looking for the church to be their source of support. They were worse than freeloaders in that they went about interfering and meddling in the affairs of the other members. And so, you know, hear me, we're not talking about people who might be down on their luck or who are out of work, that kind of, we're talking about freeloaders. We're talking about people who are averse to doing work. And, and if, if you gave them work to do, would talk their way out of it. Uh, and, you know, it so it's a very definite group of individuals here. I'm going to sift through these verses, kind of bounce around a little bit. We'll look at every verse. But I want to separate the busybodies from those who were busy in the body. And we'll see at least two things about the busybodies, their description and their discipline. First of all, their description can be drawn from verses 6 and 11. So let's read those two verses together, beginning in verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, verse 11, not working at all, but are busybodies. This one particular word that describes them is disorderly. It's a term borrowed from the military. It means that they're out of rank. Uh, Both times they are said to walk disorderly. And so the church is being pictured by Paul as a well-disciplined army on the march, but some are out of step, they're running into the others, knocking them down, tripping them, and in every way hindering their progress. And so he's seeing the the Christian army as like some of those crazy marching things that you see on television with the you know remember the Russians they were always marching. You know, with the and those uh, in my mind when I was a kid I remember it's burned into my retina you know the the russian goose step and then the big missile with the hammer and sickle on it that you know i knew was coming in the middle of the night you know cuz my dad would sit there I, you know i love my dad but he had no idea you know how he, he was affecting us emotionally oh we're probably getting nuked tonight wake up and just you know and uh, you know he just would say things like that and, uh, you know, I'm a little kid thinking, what, what does it mean to be nuked? I mean, it sounds bad. Do I stop, drop, and roll right now? You know, I thought if I got under my desk at school, you know, how am I going to get to school to be under my school desk? Because that's the only place in the world you be safe from a nuclear attack is under your school desk. Not at home, not in a bomb shelter, just under your school desk, I'm sure. Uh, so anyway, it gave us something to think about. And so, so it, instead of those guys marching, imagine if one of those guys just started kicking and falling and, you know, the domino thing. Now in the movies, that's kind of funny. You see, you've seen that, you know, in, a, in you know, maybe, in the old, you know, before there was talking pictures and sometimes there's that slapstick comedy. In real life, it can be deadly for soldiers to be out of rank. In the Christian life, it is no less deadly because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so if you're comparing the church to an army, we don't have time to be disorderly and to be out of step and out of rank and all of that. We need to really be pulling together. Again, the particular expression of disorderly contact among this group was that they refused to work to earn their own living. They seemingly had jobs and they quit them, to wait around for the Lord to come back, and since he hadn't come back and their rent was due, they just tried to live off the church. These verses speak directly to any church who has such members. Now, the second thing we see about the disorderly is their discipline, or more precisely, how to discipline them. We begin again in verse 6 with the phrase, every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. This word for tradition was defined earlier in the chapter, in verse 15, uh, as the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. It's referring to God handing down to mankind his word through the teachings and the inspired writings of the first century apostles. We have those now in our century, as the Bible, the completed Word of God, which contained everything we need for godly living. And so, we're to determine from God's Word whether or not a brother or sister is walking in a disorderly manner. Uh, that's, that has to be our guide, not our own personal feelings or our prejudices or our biases or anything like that, but what does God's Word really say about their behavior? And we're first of all to warn them, I get that from Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, where he said in chapter 5, verse 14, warn them that are unruly, and that would include this group. And so Paul has been dealing with these people for two letters. Uh, How discouraging it must be for Paul, you know, to write as an apostle. How hard to say something like that, you know, I mean... Does anybody like doing stuff like this? You know, where you, you have to warn people and go up to people and say, hey, bro, you're just, you're just blowing it. I mean, if you like that, I've got a job for you. You know, just sign up. Go to, I like to say terrible things to people at Hanford, Calvary Hanford, and it'll come to us and, and I'll put you on board. You'll be a, a you know, non paid staff or something like that. And whenever we need somebody to do this, we'll hire you. But uh, so, you know, he had already warned them and hoping that just the reading of the letter would get their attention. And I'm sure that people in the body felt a sense of relief that Paul finally addressed this issue and said, hey, he's talking about you, buddy, you know, why don't you get your job back that you quit, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. The warning did no good and they were continuing in their disorderly behavior. And so the next step, he says, is to withhold from them. Let's read verses 10 and 12 together. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And so Paul says, just quit feeding those people. If you've got people who genuinely won't work, they could work, but they just won't. They refuse and they think that, you know, the church owes them food. Just quit feeding them. Withhold food from them. Uh, Once that support is withheld, they're forced to go back to work to support themselves. Now, again, realize we're not talking about people with genuine needs, but those who refuse to meet their own needs and put a burden on the rest of the body. And so you have to hear that. I mean, there's, we don't want to be, ever be a church that doesn't try to meet the genuine needs of individuals who are maybe less fortunate than we happen to be. Uh, and, and we're a church that does that, and so I'm thankful for that. And so it's, a, it's an interesting balance that you have to keep. In conjunction or following soon after, you withdraw from them, Paul says. You're first told to withdraw in verse 6, and it's defined in verses 14 and 15, where he says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, withdrawal here in Paul's mind involves noting him and not keeping company with him. And these are quickly qualified by the reminder in verse 15 that he is not your enemy, but remains your brother and still needs to be admonished, which means uh, warned. This word for note means to mark out. It seems to indicate some sort of public acknowledgement. It means you tell the other believers it's time to withdraw from the brother or sister by not keeping company with them. This would involve not allowing them the privileges of the church, such as communion. It would also involve cutting off social ties with them. You don't invite them over for dinner have any normal fellowship with them other than to encourage them to do the right thing. And and by these withdrawals, you hope that the disorderly brother or sister may become ashamed of their behavior. Now, Paul seems to be talking here specifically about the issue of being a busybody, of being lazy and expecting support from the church. The discipline he recommends here is different from church discipline for someone living in habitual sin. For one thing he says clearly don't count him as an enemy but admonish him as a brother and when you read the church discipline scriptures in Matthew for example Matthew 18 at the end of that process it seems like you're treating the person effectively as if they're a non-believer some people say you actually declare that they're not Christians based on their habitual sin Whether you go that far or not, I think personally that's too far, But but you are to deal with them as if they need to get saved. And so Paul doesn't say that here. He says, now this person, it's clear they're Christians. They're just blowing it. They're just deadbeats. They're just busybodies. So it's a little bit different discipline. We always want to lump everything together and have one concise system of church discipline that we can roll out, but it's not that black and white. And I probably don't need to tell you that churches struggle with the exact steps to take when they have to deal in what we would call discipline with a member. Some would never dare discipline their members, while others have it so structured there's no room for mercy, Uh, or or at least it's it's, phenomenally structured. I know of a church that spent... Uh, what, there's a guy by the name of Jay Adams. He's a good guy. We love Jay Adams, and he does a lot of writing on divorce and remarriage and church discipline. And well, actually, he does a lot of writing on everything. But he's got a pamphlet. it Essentially, it's a pamphlet on church discipline. It's 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 a really one of those little thin books that you just barely can read. It's just big enough for them to print on the you know on the uh, the binding. And, and and so it's it's not very big. It's it's full of content. It's not very big. I know of a church that spent three years going through that book Sunday by Sunday in their adult Sunday school class so that they knew the ins and outs of church discipline so that everybody was on the proverbial same page with that. They would have had to discipline me after six months. They would have had to kick me out because I would have just gone crazy you know, you can read the whole book in an afternoon if you understand what I'm saying. But anyway, so so, so churches are all over the place when it comes to church discipline. And uh, you'll hear sooner or later, you'll hear somebody say about our church or a church, well, they never discipline anybody. They don't believe in church discipline. And they have a, a particular idea of what that means. Uh, and so it's a struggle. Uh Church leaders, they don't always agree on who needs to be disciplined and for what. I mean, some things are pretty black and white in terms of, you know, sin. Other things that the Bible calls sin, sometimes we're afraid to fest, you know, to, to really confront, uh, you know, attitudes and things like pride and, uh, you know, divisiveness and things like that. It's like, well, you know, who's to say? Um if there is agreement that someone needs to be disciplined there can be a disagreement on how aggressively they need to be approached or when to tell the church or what does it mean to tell the church you know Jesus we'll get to it in Matthew 18 but Jesus says tell the you know tell the church tell them what exactly and who is the church is it you know At the Sunday evening service? At the Sunday morning service? Is it at the communion table? Is it, you know, so I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm saying these are not easy issues. uh, And they, they deal with people's hearts and lives in ways that can affect their entire walk with Jesus Christ. But it also can affect the body of believers. And so it's a very serious issue. I'm not saying it's impossible and it can't be done. We had a situation some years ago that required me to stand before the church and deal with some disorderly conduct that was going on. And, and um, I was over at the YMCA, and we asked people after both services, we say, hey, we have a situation, and if you consider yourself a member of this church and you're interested in what we have to say, then stay and we'll talk about it. And we did. Uh, and, and so, you know, we take these things seriously, and I think a lot of churches do, and And, um, but it's not so easy because like I said, you jump right in here and, and, you know, I know some churches that would say, well, we're we're, this morning, we're going to uh, call out, you know, Gene Pensiero Jr. because he's a deadbeat (laughs) and be more like me. But anyway, and, uh. And, and, you know, that's not what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, you know, he's, he, you know he's treat him like a brother, but don't feed him. You want, hey, this is my breakfast burrito. <laughs> you want your own breakfast burrito, go earn some money, and not by panhandling either. Get a job. So that's what he's talking about. What if you're not a busy body, but you're busy in the body? That's what I really want to talk about in the time that's left. One commentator described the phrase, be not weary, by saying, and I quote, it does not mean that they have already succumbed, but rather they must be, uh, not yield to such a reaction. They must be on guard against the temptation to lose courage and falter and give up. We need to hear these particular words more often in the church. It's more common to hear people say, take a break from your ministry, or man, you're just doing too much, or something along those lines. Burnout has crept into the church as something that lingers over every ministry. Christians are always pacing themselves so as to not get burned out. Rather than to give you my commentary on what I think of all this, let's see what the Apostle Paul thought about it. In verse 7, 8, and 9, he gave them and us the example we should follow in staying busy in the body. So verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. We were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. You ought to follow us as your example, Paul says. In the arena of working for a living, Paul and the other missionaries were not disorderly. They worked with labor and toil night and day. They arrived in Thessalonica and immediately, without any difficulty, found gainful employment so that they could meet their own needs. He had the authority to receive wages from the church, But he waived that right to be supported in order to not be a burden to them. As busy as they were working to support themselves, they were busier in the work of the ministry. Preaching the gospel, exhorting, comforting, charging the church, both corporately and individually. They were busy in the body. That was the example the believers were to follow and not let themselves get weary in following. So again, he's not saying, don't work so hard that you get tired. He's saying, don't get weary in the sense that you think you need a break. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul taking a break from his ministry, thinking he was doing too much for God, going on an extended sabbatical? you imagine Paul coming into He gets chased out of Thessalonica by guys that hate him. He ends up in Corinth where it's not going so well. He doesn't say, you know, I need, I need a two-year sabbatical. I'm just going to, for two years, I'm just going to take my parchments and I'm just going to get refreshed and ministered to, have people support me, and then I'll come back really raring to go. God gave him lots of sabbaticals. They were in prison and in shipwrecks and times like that. And so, I mean, Paul's not the kind of guy you would say anything like that to. You wouldn't tell him to take it easy or ask him for a break. That's the example. You're to be busy in the body serving other believers. You can serve to the point of exhaustion if necessary. After after all, the Lord could return at any moment. You have plenty of time to rest when you get to heaven. Now, This is an, obviously an individual decision. You know, we teach this way, and then we just leave it up to everybody to make their own decision. Because um, wh- you know, some people serve publicly, and some people serve privately. Some service is seen, and some service is unseen. And so I can't really look at a person... And tell them what they ought to be doing for the Lord. I can only know what the Lord wants me to do and throw out there as a general principle, He wants us to be busy in the body, serving Him to the point of exhaustion at times and not grow weary in well doing and listen to the lie of the world that says, You need, you know, you deserve a break today. That's okay for McDonald's but it's not okay for the church. Shout out to McDonald's there. Yes, you're the man, Dan, that's right. I expect a free mix flurry after that, but anyway, it's good to be busy doing good. It's good for others, but it's also good for you. It keeps you on course in your walk with God, walking in step rather than out of rank, and we want to walk in step. Let me put it another way. I've known lots of believers over the years who were busy Then they felt burned out. Their solution for burnout was to back off. The trouble with backing off is that it can easily become backing away and lead to being backslidden. Onward, never backward, is the Christian life. Maybe you feel burned out or you've been talking to someone who feels burned out. What you need to hear or to say is don't grow weary in doing good. Stay busy in the body. Get even busier. Where do you find the strength to labor and toil night and day like Paul did? Well, there are some resources tucked away in the closing verses of this chapter that speak of your source of strength. He talks about peace, the word of God, and grace. In verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with you all. And so his, Paul had an understanding that the Lord wanted to be with them. He was the Lord of peace who wanted to give them a sense of peace. He's the true source of it. Whenever you're feeling stressed, thinking about being burned out, he can put your heart at ease. Always means you can have his peace without interruption. In every way means in every and any possible circumstance. And so, you know, what happens when we start feeling burned out, we we start feeling troubled and discouraged and, you know, these kinds of things. And, And Paul says, well, what you really need, you don't need a vacation. You need the peace of God to fill and flood your heart. Uh, you know and, and, and you you need something spiritual, not something physical. see we we think we 're getting burned out, and we need to do something physical for ourselves and And Paul says, "No, what you need is essentially spiritual. you need the peace of God, and you can always have it every time and then he says in verse seventeen, "The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write." Paul signed the letter personally, he would um, dictate most of his letters to a uh, somebody who took dictation. <laughs> I wanted to say a secretary, but these were male secretaries. They were actually called, uh, an aminousis, I think, was the name. There's a Greek word for it. So my pastor in San Bernardino, always, that was the one Greek word he really loved. And so uh, I, think it's, I think it's an aminousis or an aminesis or something like that. And so But he would take the letter at the end and he would scribble Paul. And um, that way they knew he signed it. God has given you letters like this, and all the other inspired scriptures as a source of strength to not grow weary in doing good, uh, whether it's finding uh, your favorite bible character or your favorite passage or discovering something new just get into the word and and um you know uh, find out what happened elijah it, Elijah is a guy that you want to read about when you feel like you're burned out, you know he has this big victory over. You know, uh, Jezebel and and uh, kills all the prophets of Baal, and then he runs as fast as he can out into the wilderness, and he has a pity party. He says, "I'm the only servant. You know, what's the big deal? You know, they're trying to kill me. You just killed 450 prophets of Baal, but now she's trying to kill me, and I, I just, I'm, I'm not feeling it, Lord. You know." And so the Lord, I mean, he essentially rebukes him. He says, "Well, let me let you in on a little secret. I've got seven thousand people that don't bow the knee to Baal, and." Much as I love you, buddy, you're done. You don't want to work anymore. Okay, you're gonna choose a successor, Elisha, and I'll, you know, I'll take you to heaven in a chariot and all that, like I promised. But, you know, and so, you know, you can get encouraged by stuff like that. Or you read about Paul and you say, well, yeah, Paul was discouraged and David was discouraged. He's going, what did they do about it? They got into the Word. They let the Holy Spirit refresh them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace reminds you that God is sufficient for you moment by moment, day by day. Grace is not something that you're done with. It's something that's empowering you on a day by day, moment by moment basis. It's God's power being released in your life. I'll close with just some practical advice. The place to begin being busy in the body is to simply be present when Christians assemble. Not just when you have a responsibility to be there, just be there. And the Lord will use you if you are open to being used. Amen?